Where does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now. Where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 welcome. I love that intro. That's the voice of Ryan Treasure, my co-producer and the VP of, I call him VP of everything at Voice America World Talk Radio. We have an interesting topic for you today. It affects you whether you're in the sales genre, I will call that, the sales cohort today, or whether you're somebody who gets sold too once in a while. That means everybody. So let's look back in time. It may be hard to imagine, but there was a time not so long ago when products and services were sold in the real world and salespeople were the go-to experts. Oh, I have to call the salesperson. Oh, I have to talk to them. I have to see what they, I have to look at the brochure. I have to go to the sales room. Do you remember when somebody invited you to coffee or lunch or a free dinner so they could sell you something? Well, for many reasons, that's not happening today, but it hasn't been happening for other reasons for a long time. Consumer habits change often due to technological advances, and we know that. Over the past few years, social selling, that's our topic today, and some people call it digital selling, has gained the attention of sales professionals everywhere in every possible field. I don't know if anybody know this except me, but 3.6 billion people today use social media around the world, and that's expected to grow to 4.4 billion by 2025. Now, we're more than halfway through 2020, so you know it's coming. Consumers now are five times more reliant on digital content than about eight or nine years ago. That means the digital space is here to stay. So that means if you haven't heard the stats, you could be anywhere from 25 to 90% through your quote unquote sales journey before you talk to someone. You don't need to go to the showroom. You don't need to ask a salesperson. You can find the information on their website or in general, Google it, search it online. You know a lot about a product or service before you're ready to talk to somebody and put your credit card on the line or cash if you still have any of that. What is social selling, digital selling? It's when salespeople use social media to interact directly with their target audience, and we've all been target audiences, with the goal of building trust with a customer, with a prospect, until they're ready to buy a product or service. So we're talking about building trust, relationships, not just slamming you with, hey, we're having a special, do you want it or not? We're not doing that anymore. So I have a panel right now with three experts. We're expecting a fourth. I won't announce his name till he shows up, but I have with me today, and I'm so excited to speak to Jason Taylor at Grapevine 6. Welcome, Jason. And we have Chris Diskin at TIAA, a newcomer referred to us by Jason. Welcome, Chris Diskin, and Brandon Bornanson at Seamless.ai. We're going to ask for their take on the future of digital selling coming to social media near you soon. Welcome, everybody. I am Bonnie D. Graham, as the gentleman said, and let's get started. Jason Taylor, you've been on many radio shows with me before, but this is the first time on Tech Rev, we affectionately call it. So why don't you please introduce yourself? I'm guessing there might be 2.3 people around the world who don't know who you are, Jason. So talk to them, please. Introduce yourself and tell us what's your passion for this topic. Go ahead. Hi, Bonnie. Thanks for having me. Always, always a treat and a pleasure. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm, my name, my name is Jason Taylor. I'm director of sales partnerships at Grapevine 6. Uh, I've been working in the social selling space for eight, nine, almost 10 years now. Um, multiple companies I've been, I've worked through, uh, but Grapevine 6, the most recent, I've been there for a few years now. 
I've ran programs with companies like Microsoft that ran a really large channel partner program there to enable their sellers um, on, on the use of social and, and content. I uh, worked with uh, Mitel, Shortel, Avaya, companies like SAP, um, Oracle as well. So I've got quite a bit of experience working in the enterprise space uh, and, and even down to the SMB because when I ran channel programs, I was teaching you know, uh, Microsoft partners that were maybe one, two, three people that worked for the company, how to leverage social, how to, how to dig up information on folks, you know, prospects, how to build subject matter expertise and thought leadership. Uh, most recently, I've been working in the fintech space. Uh, we work really closely with financial services, uh, companies like TIAA, um, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, RBC out of Canada. Uh, so excited to, to talk with you guys and talk about the future of social as I see it. Thank you very much. Quick question for you, Jason Taylor. Is cold calling dead? And if not, should it be? And do people still meet for virtual coffees? Hey, I want to sell you the latest widget. Let's meet face to face. I have a Zoom set up for you. Jason, is that still happening? Or is it mostly, as I said, between 25 and 90% online research by the customer, the prospect before they even would talk to somebody? What's your quick take on that? So cold calling in my eyes is never going to die. Like that's always an effective form of communication. Um, I see social as an evolved form of communication. I remember when email first came out and I, I thought it was going to be something that my teachers would be able to send me information or send my parents information. Like I thought it was going to be a very small scale use case, uh, but it's one of the most widely used forms of communication, just like SMS is now. Uh, but I think social is just, a, you know, in addition to the communication that was there, this is, you know, the evolved form of it. Um, but cold calling will always be around. It's always a, a, a good um, activity, I should say. Uh, and, and it, but it also, it, it depends on what you do, what you're selling. Uh, when you work in the enterprise space, I don't think cold calling is as effective, but more B2C consumer space, I think it's you know, definitely quite effective in even some of the smaller B2B use cases as well. Thank and what was this, the, the second portion of that that you asked? Uh, I can't even remember. Okay. So, I was well, so intrigued by your answer. Uh, I, I guess I'm going to ask all of you eventually later in the show if people feel put upon that they know salespeople are lurking on social media, <laughs> trying to start these relationships with them. But we'll, we'll get into that. Thank you, Jason. Mm -hmm. It'll come back to me. Let's go to a second on the list here. Chris Diskin, you and I have not met until about oh, uh, 14 minutes ago when you showed up on Zoom and you were invited by Jason, we're very happy to meet you. So, Chris, would you please enlighten the audience? Who are you? What do you do? And what does digital selling mean to you? Chris, welcome. Sure thing. Thanks for having me, Bonnie. And Jason, thanks for the uh, introduction. Uh, Chris Diskin is the name, and uh, financial services is where I work. I've been in the financial services sphere for uh, my entire career. Uh, I actually started out in sales uh, as, a, as a life insurance agent at Northwestern Mutual. And back when I started out in sales, we didn't have social media. We didn't have uh, the appropriate technology, I'd say, for somebody uh, fresh out of college to really build a, a sales-oriented business. Uh, so I failed miserably. And then did what every uh, terrible salesperson does is go into marketing. So uh, I started my career in marketing and financial services after that. And as soon as something uh, like social media came around where I feel like um, you know, it really would have impacted my initial journey into financial services uh, when I was a life insurance agent, I, I, I grabbed a hold of it. So uh, I jumped into uh, social media and digital uh, selling at Wells Fargo 
uh, started out just kind of being a participant in the launch of their initial social selling program to actually running the entire program for their wealth management business. And from there, building it out to an enterprise-wide social and digital selling program that included more than just social media, every aspect of digital uh, that would uh, a salesperson would want to interact with uh, fell under my team's uh, purview. And at the end of the day, we had a, a social selling program that supported 30,000 salespeople. I would say that uh, all 30,000 weren't active users, but uh, they have a very large sales force at Wells Fargo. So some of the, the responsibilities weren't just uh, understanding social media and introducing it to salespeople, but actually understanding how to scale that to large uh, sales organizations. Uh, from there, I moved on to TIAA, uh, where I stand, uh, where I sit now, I'm focused on uh, customer marketing. I lead the customer marketing function for their wealth management business. Um, and because of my involvement in social selling at Wells Fargo, they've sort of uh, stamped social selling onto my responsibilities as well. I was stepping away from it, actually, uh, to, to really uh, get a more diverse background. And uh, they brought me right back into it. So here I am. So I'm uh, launching the, the TIA Enterprise Social Selling Program as we speak. Uh, super passionate about it because, like I said, my, my first experience in sales was not a, was not a pleasant one. And I want to make that easier for, for other salespeople. Thank you, Chris. It's a pleasure to meet you. Do you think people are suspicious of somebody who wants to say, hey, I see we're both Falcons fans or we're both, uh, uh, we're both big NBA followers and they think, oh my goodness, that person just wants to sell me something. They read the rule book, the handbook on social selling and they looked at my profile. They say, yeah, look what we have in common. I don't know this person. Do you think people are suspicious of that, Chris? Absolutely. I, I mean, it's a tactic I, I've taught myself, uh, but you know, it really boils down to the effectiveness. So one person might be suspicious, someone, another person might appreciate uh, that connection point. I think it's the, the perfect parallel to back in the day when you would go into somebody's office to actually sell them something and you would look on the wall at a picture of the, uh, you know, them fishing and you would sort of bring that into the conversation uh, to break the ice. I think Social just gives our salespeople a way to break the ice by finding these characteristics that people are publishing online about themselves. So, yes, suspicious to one person might be friendly to another. Thank you very much. I, I have a band called Red's Hot Mango. We're a little Latin, Latin music dance band. I'm red. Surprise. And I was trying to find a, a, a new guitar player, and I heard that somebody in the community was a guitar player. I'm in a 55 plus, I admit it. And uh, somebody recommended a, a man who was here when I looked him, I found him on LinkedIn and I found out that I had worked for SAP and he had worked for SAP at some point. So I sent him a very friendly email. I wasn't selling anything. I just wanted him to come and try out for my band. It just on a, hey, you play guitar. We need a guitar player. Really cool. And I sent him a note and I said, hello, Mike. And uh, you don't know me. We're neighbors a couple blocks away and blah, blah, blah. And I see that you work for SAP and I did too. And when were you there? or maybe it was Nokia he worked for. We, we were both somewhere. And I got back a very terse, thank you for contacting me. I'm not interested in joining any bands now. Take care. And I thought, OMG. <laughs> if my listeners could see Jason Taylor, his eyeballs just left his head. They're almost as big as the, the headphones he's wearing. <laughs> and it was like I had committed this terrible crime by saying, hey, we're both business people. We have something in common. And by the way, I have a band. And he was like, no, I'm not joining anything right now. And I felt like I'd been slapped down. Chris, are you surprised and shocked by something like that? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, <laughs> I don't know, everyone's experience is different, right? We don't know what came before uh, that led yes. that person to react that way. So I think 
you know, the more authentic you can be, the more real and human you can be, and the, the less kind of less kind of script following you do, uh, yep. the better the chances are that that person's going to react in a positive way. Thank you very much. I still need a guitar player, if you know. We're playing over tracks now. It's a lot of equipment, but it works well. Brandon Bernanson is waking, waiting so patiently. Brandon, last time I said a guest was being patient, and I got to that person who was third on my on my list. They said, how do you know I'm being patient? So, Brandon, you just look patient. I, I love having these shows formerly always on phones. We couldn't see each other. I love being able to see my guests, the nuances, right? And and just seeing, I see how you all think and how you all speak. And Brandon Bornanson, we created a new hashtag for him. It's hashtag branded Brandon because he always has a huge screen behind him. It looks like a 27-inch screen with his name all in capital letters, sans serif. It looks like a nice Helvetic or an Ariel, I'm not sure. And he is the totally branded person. Brandon, welcome. You were on radio with me a couple weeks ago. Thrilled to have you back. Please introduce yourself. There might be 2.1 people in the world who don't know who you are. And what is your great passion for this topic? Brandon, you're up. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Bonnie. And great to connect Chris and Jason on the show. So uh, Wild Ride, I'm Brandon Bordanson. Um, I, I got to see my, my dad build the first billion dollar sales company, software company in the US. And that was really cool. So when I was 18, I launched my own company when I went to college for the gambling industry. And a lot of that was using social media, Facebook, to promote like online gambling, to sign up for these sites. And that did really well until the US made online gambling illegal. And then I launched a text message software company where I invested $4 million in four years of my life and lost the 12 million I made in the previous company. So broke and starving and trying to quit entrepreneurship, I was like, what's the next best thing? I'm gonna go into sales. So I went and sold for IBM and Google. And when I was selling for IBM and Google, I always found it annoying that to build a relationship with someone on LinkedIn or on Facebook, you had to connect. You know, you got to connect. You got to add them as a friend. And I'm like, what if there was a way to, what if there was a search engine or a social network where you could just get everyone's emails and phone numbers and uh, nothing existed? So I worked with all my engineers at IBM and Google. And we built our own search and social media platform that finds emails and cell phones and phone numbers for anyone in the world to help the, the world connect opportunity and uh, used it to, to generate over $100 million in sales and then quit my full-time job selling for Google and IBM to go full-time on building the company, which is Seamless.ai. So uh, my whole career was, was kind of built on social media and digital selling and couldn't be happier to be here today. Wow. I did not know that entire story, Brandon. As many times as I've, I've had you on radio, I don't recall that whole story. And, and you're certainly passionate about that. What do you think? Do people feel hunted down and searched uh, when they do find, well, listen, on Twitter, I click connect. There's no, will you accept me or do you want to be my friend? And you can follow and unfollow. So Twitter is, is easy peasy. There's no, no uh, dust behind you if you unfollow somebody. I don't think anybody cares. I still don't know why I can't get over more than 2,100 followers because I've been doing this a lot. I, I see people with hundreds of thousands and millions. I, I don't feel jealous, but I'm curious. But when you go on Facebook, you go on LinkedIn, it's much more obvious. Brandon, do you think that people are, I'm going to ask the same question I asked one of the other panelists. Do you think people are annoyed when people pop up, I want to connect? with you. What do you think? Is there an annoyance factor or are people saying, oh, wow, look how popular I am? What do you think? Yes. So, I mean, I, I built a company that, that employs 100 people aggregating all of the data about people and companies, right? Mm -hmm. So, 
you know, you can look at that as, as good or bad. The, the reason why I, we feel it's so valuable is, you know, I could connect with Bonnie and know everything about Bonnie before I connect your likes, your dislikes, your interests, your passions, your hobbies, like you'd mentioned with the guitar guy, uh, you know, luckily the data is out there and available and then you got to use the data. It's kind of like saying like Google, well, do you like being able to search data so quickly? Social media and digital selling is so powerful because you could have and build such a profitable one-to-one relationship with anyone in the world. And I think you just have to use that data and that power for good versus mm-hmm. bad. And, and that's our, our viewpoint. I mean, we, we love the data, we aggregate it and we try to make it useful for anyone. Uh, I think that's the only way to build like a really amazing relationship with people. And, and I've heard the term, the right to be forgotten in Europe, which apparently is a law. You can say, I want to be forgotten. I always say that I think the horse is out of the barn door and it's a little late to close it because we all have such an incredible digital footprint. I heard several years ago, if you can't find somebody on, on digital media, if you can't find somebody anywhere when you Google them, they don't exist as a person because we're yeah. all part of, the, is, yeah. isn't that true? Um, so yes, we are, we all very, very, very visible. And let's now go around the table, talk about visibility. My panelists have sent me wonderful quotes. We love movies and songs and really cool quotes. And I have been introduced to some characters through their quotes that I never knew before. So this is a part of the show where they've sent me a quote that has nothing to do with the topic, not about business, not about selling, not about sales, not about social media. And we're going to ask them to relate the quote they selected to our topic. Jason Taylor has picked a quote from Remy, who is a rat, a character in Ratatouille, a 2007 animated film. It's computer animated comedy produced by Pixar, released by Walt Disney Pictures. It was the eighth film produced by Pixar. And the title refers to, of course, those of you who like to cook. It's the French dish Ratatouille, which is served or Ratatouille, which is served at the end of the film and also references the animal type of the main character, a rat. The plot follows rat named Remy, R-E-M-Y, who dreams of becoming a chef. Oh, how grandiose. And tries to achieve his goal by forming an alliance with the Parisian restaurant's Garbage boy. Well, that's interesting. Here's the quote Jason has selected. The only thing predictable about life is its unpredictability. Never thought that would come out of the mouth of an animated rat. Jason, how'd you pick this one? Go ahead. Um, first of all, I love the movie. Uh, even more so that I, I've got a three-year-old and a one-year-old now because it seems like there's always something animated on TV. Um, but I, 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 a perfect example is COVID. Right. We're, we're dealing in, in the reason why I bring this up is and, and how it relates is digital selling is more apparent now. The importance of it is more apparent now than it ever has been. No one knew this was going to happen. Whoever thought that the entire world was going to be working from home, like every single unless you had a specific job that, you know, an essential worker, like everyone is working remotely. So digital selling, and, and this is something that, you know, working in, w- with technology companies like Microsoft for the past, you know, seven, eight years, running programs with them, I saw that eventually people are, the remote working thing is going to be more and more apparent. People are going to be doing this more and more. And I, I feel like we've just, um, we've increased the velocity of what, how, the time that it was going to take for that to happen. So instead of, hey, over the next 10 years, I bet people are going to be using things like Microsoft Teams and Zoom and, you know, WebEx to, to communicate and engage. People were starting to do it depending on the different verticals that they worked in. 
and you know their sales organization, uh, but it's accelerated now. Everyone has to do it, so people are are shifting. You know their corporate strategy, the way that they run their business is is all being uh, completely transitioned, and that's because it, of this thing that happened that was very unpredictable. So I think it's very important for. A, a business, small or large, to be agile and be, you know, have the ability to, to transition their, their go-to-market strategy or their sales process. Um, and, and digital selling is obviously a huge piece of that. Thank you very much. And thanks for the introduction to the movie. I'll have to see if I can find it. Thank you very much, Jason. Let's go to Chris Diskin. Chris has sent another movie quote. We love this. Thank you, gentlemen. We love it. We get so many serious quotes from from Einstein and from Darwin and from other people, and we love movie quotes. So uh, this is a quote from Dr. Ian Malcolm, a character in Jurassic Park, the 1993 adventure sci-fi film. This is from the first Jurassic Park movie about a rich philanthropist, John Hammond, played by the late Richard Attenborough, whose dream of opening a theme park filled with real-life dinosaurs, duh, is about to come to fruition. But something happens and the dinosaurs are let loose, endangering the people inside. Here is where the quote comes from. After getting a tour of the park, visitors have a lunch and the investors are excited. However, Dr. Ian Malcolm, played by Jeff Goldblum, is less than enthusiastic as he sees the dangers of bringing dinosaurs back to life. And here's the quote. I won't pretend to do a Jeff Goldblum, uh, I won't pretend to use his voice because I can't remember what it sounds like, but here we go. Your scientists are so preoccupied with whether they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. Wow, Chris, great quote. And how did you find this one? And what in the world does that have to do with our topic? Chris Diskin. I knew this podcast was about technology, so I went straight to dinosaurs to to find my quote. (laughs) But uh, no, Jurassic Park is one of my favorite favorite movies. Um, I was actually, you know, searching for specific themes and and, and found this, and it, I, I was really like keying in on the theme of of the fact that um, you know we we can build things and we can get access to data and we can automate things, um, which is all great, but it's also scary, uh, and and we shouldn't always uh, push the envelope to the point at which we can uh, really get it. We should think about the consequences uh, of of some of the things that we're building. Um, I've kind of got two different points of view on this from a client side as well as from the, from the vendor side, from a client side and specifically talking about social selling, um, automation, right? Uh, there's a lot, there are a lot of platforms out there that give our salespeople the ability to kind of flip a switch and let it run itself. Uh, and some of that is okay. I think there's, there are, there are instances where uh, automation will work. And I think there's a, a case for it in at some percentage of your sales activity. But the reality is if you're going to stay engaged with your customer base, I think you need to, to be present and automation really pulls you away from that. So I think that's an example of something just because we can automate doesn't mean we should. Uh, on the vendor side, you know, as a, as a client of vendors, I see often that they uh, will build things for a single client because that client says we need X and the technology company is like we can build X. But then client, you know, B and C and D don't necessarily need what they're building and it actually can complicate things. So it's two different points of view there, but um, thinking before we push the envelope forward and build things that might have negative consequences. Thank you very much. Very thoughtful quote. And I appreciate that. Haven't had it. I don't think we've ever had a Jurassic Park quote before on the show. So we love that. And let's go... 
Let's go along with our movie theme. Brandon has sent us a quote from Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien. Talk about fantasy. This is a quote from the elf queen Galadriel. I hope I'm pronouncing her name appropriately. Played by uh, the way I read it, the fabulous Kate, the ethereal, the the description of the ethereal Kate Blanchett. Uh, The Lord of the Rings is an epic high fantasy book by the English author and scholar J.R.R. Tolkien. He called it a heroic romance, denying that it was a novel. The story began as a sequel to his 1937 children's book, The Hobbit, but developed into a much larger work. It was written in stages for over a period of eight years. It's one of the best-selling books ever written with over 150 million copies sold. I have the whole dialogue, Brandon, but I'm not going to read the whole passage here. It was between Frodo and Galadriel. It's not a, a, well, did they make this into a movie, Lord of the Rings? Yeah, I believe so. I think so too. So we'll say this is our third movie quote. So here's the quote. Even the smallest person can change the course of the future. I hope that's the way she said it. Brandon, talk to me. How'd you find this? Yeah. So, uh, (laughs) You know, I'm a big fan of like a thousand miles starts with a single step. And, you know, that's what this quote was about from Lord of the Rings. Just uh, you can make massive change with with technology or at your company or whatever. And you just got to take that first step, whether it's using uh, new strategies, new technologies, new emerging media, AI, you name it. And uh, just set a big goal and then just start start moving towards it, uh, whatever you can. Okay, thank you very much. Are you a big fan of Lord of the Rings? Have you read the books? Have you, do you have a whole collection of them? Um, no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, my PR guy selected that quote. I, I haven't even seen the movie Lord of the Rings, but uh, you know, I love instead it. of making it, I'm just going to roll with it. Great job, Phil. Thank you for picking a, a Thank quote. you, yeah. Phil. Well, you know something? It doesn't matter where you found it. And uh, we're all about authenticity here on the show, right, Brandon? So, Brandon. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm dying. I'm going to text fine. Phil. Hey. Most they, of my just so, Go ahead, Jason. So, everyone knows I am a huge fan of Lord of the Rings. I, I haven't read the books, but I was in college-ish when the movies started to kind of come out. There and we movies. would go to the midnight showing on Thursday night. We would drive from Central Michigan University, Mount Pleasant, Michigan, down to Lowell, Michigan, to the closest movie theater. And it would, it, and through the snow, like it was always in the winter time. And then we'd go watch the movie. I, I saw all three of them. They came out like two year, uh, two year spurts. And then they did a whole bunch of other movies after that, too. But um, I am a big fan. Just I'll, so everyone knows. Maybe this and, weekend. And was Kate, <laughs> was Kate Blanchett indeed ethereal, Jason? It's so she has a glow to her because she's like the elf queen. So like, it's really cool when you watch it on film because like, she's like this glowing entity. Like she's like the, you know, the end all be all for the elves. Like she's uh, it's, and it's that, that portion of the movie is a cool little dialogue, but Brandon, it's going to take longer than a weekend, bro. They're like three hours long each. All right. Well, then I'll spend a week on it. Yeah, there well, you go. We just changed the title of the show from the future of digital selling and technology to the future of great movies to see that you didn't know was a movie, but you didn't read the book, but your PR person found you a great <laughs> quote and somebody drove a hundred miles for the midnight showing on Thursday. So you got to see it. That's the new yeah. title of my show. 
as long as we're real people, it really doesn't matter. People are listening and they want to be informed but entertained as well. And that's what I think we're doing right now. Now is the time of the show where we finally get to the predictions. And the topic again is digital selling coming to a social media platform near you. Are you hunted? Are you sought after? Are you cherished and prized? Do people want a relationship with you or they just want to slam you with selling messages? Oh, no. So let's go through the predictions. Prediction number one, I'll pick one from each of you. And we'll just go around and around the table. Gentlemen, if you want to comment on each other. Others, just raise your hand so I can see you, or when I get to yours, you can say, by the way, and reference back to somebody else. So take all the notes you want. Here we go. Jason Taylor, prediction number one, monitoring and retention of digital client information is going to be much more important for all verticals, not just regulated industries in the near future. You got to unpack this for us, Jason. What are we talking about? So uh, just to correct you, digital client communication, not information. So I'm sorry. Mo- okay. No, and that's fine. Uh, Chris knows this all too well, working at Wells and TIAA. Monitoring and retaining uh, records of digital communication is something that is regulated by FINRA. So, it, it, and that's correct, Chris, right? FINRA or is it SEC? Both. Okay, both. So, and when you work in financial services, if you're a, a registered um, like Series 7 financial advisor, uh, the organization has any communication you have with a client uh, that's business related, whether it's SMS, whether it's social media, whether it's email, all of that needs to be archived for seven years so that FINRA, if they do an audit, they need they can come and, and audit and make sure that you are retaining those records to make sure that there's no violation, right? Um, so that is standard right now for financial services, primarily wealth management. I foresee monitoring and retaining of records for digital communication is going to span across all verticals. And that's a perfect example, Bonnie, you mentioned uh, GDPR. So mm-hmm. the, the ability to be forgotten. We work globally. SAP is a big client of ours. Um, they're based out of Germany where GDPR is, you know, yep. that's where it kind of started. Um, right. And it's starting to span across to other countries. So we need to be cognizant. We're a GDPR compliant organization. Um, and, and part of that is monitoring what's happening on social and retaining those records um, and, and being able to delete all of those records if necessary. But I foresee, in uh, another reason to monitor, the first reason to monitor is, is a lot has to do with um, risk. So mitigating risk, uh, working with some consulting, a large consulting firm, one of our clients, um, they're worried about what their people are saying on social for brand purposes, you know, and, and the, that's the main reason is the brand is worried about uh, some sort of defamation based upon what, you know, one of their consultants says on Twitter or whatever. So monitoring is going is, is important and it's increasingly more important, but I, I feel like the retention of the, these digital communications, all of that data is extremely helpful from a sales perspective. And one of my next, my next prediction, prediction we'll talk about a little bit more, but um, actually being able to analyze activity like we do now, which is we'll analyze email activity. Uh, we can analyze SMS and also social communication uh, and come up with like a next best, best action. And we'll talk about that in my second prediction, but I feel like monitoring and retaining those digital communication is not just going to be for regulatory and risk. It's also mm-hmm. going to be uh, to help. It's, it's going to help the business and the sales process and marketing efforts and all of that stuff. 
Thank you very much. Do you need a data scientist to keep track of all of this, Jason? Is there a special person on a sales team whose job it is to say, okay, we've captured this communication data and where do we put it in a lake, a swamp, a, a, a data ocean, uh, in a, I don't know, in a time capsule? What do we do with it? How do we get, just briefly, is, is this a new position created to take care of this? What do you think? Um, I... I would see it more as a marketing function, um, but it could also be a sales function. Um, I, I'm sure that some organizations have folks that do that, but largely technology is going to be able to dip into your, you know, if you have Snowflake, a data lake, right, that has all this data in it, um, it, it can, you know, sift through that data and figure out what's relevant uh, through the use of AI and machine learning and, you know, NLP and all of that fun stuff uh, and, and, and come up with an output. That says, hey, salesperson, based upon all of this stuff that's happened over the past six months, this person is ready for this stage of the buying process, if that makes sense. Yep. Thank you very much. Good prediction. Let's go to Chris Diskin. Prediction number one. This is an interesting one. You say digital natives will challenge the sales veterans. Those who grew up with digital communications and don't know a world without it will put pressure on sales industry veterans who are less adept. Oh my, the Luddites. Chris Diskin, talk to me. Say more, please. Sure thing. And I think this one was kind of a softball to start out with. I don't know that I'm breaking new ground with this, this mindset, but uh, the, the way I think about it at least is, you know, what I'm seeing are the digital natives that are coming in, let's say financial services and, and their financial advisors. They're having a lot more uh, success with their social selling efforts because uh, they learned how to communicate with one another through social and mobile and text and email and AOL chat back in the day. And so they understand how to engage somebody and, and start and maintain a relationship through digital and social, uh, much more so than some of the, the sales folks that came before uh, them and, and maybe didn't start out in a world with digital and social. And, and like we talked about before, that authenticity uh, when somebody does reach out, uh, done in the wrong way, or, or, or even after you've made a connection, uh, not interacting in the right way, uh, maybe uh, stepping into some faux pas or some, just having it not appear natural, like you're a natural user of the particular platform you're communicating through, can, can work against you. So I think uh, we're going to see that transition. Um, I, I, I do see a lot of uh, Luddites, as you call them, uh, uh, learning and actually doing quite well with uh, social selling. Uh, but I think they're the, you know, they're in the minority. I, I see a lot of folks either uh, afraid or just dipping their toes in the water. They're not fully invested in uh, making it work um, or they're just not good at it. Um, so I, I do think we'll just see a, a flip there where the, the uh, digital natives will, will start to be more successful uh, in certain industries than their, um, you know, veteran peers. Thank you very much. And Jason is raising his hand. What a revolutionary concept, technology revolution. It's Zoom time. Jason, talk, please. Um, I agree completely with Chris. And what I wanted to add was, if you're listening to this and, and this is hitting home and you're like, wow, like this completely is resonating. Um, I've seen sales organizations do this uh, for, the, for the past seven, eight years. And, and they'll take... Um, a, Someone that's, I, I would say, more of a greenhorn, someone that's a new salesperson that's more digitally savvy, and, and they'll put them in a room to do a training with folks that are a bit more tenured. So I've seen, like, fresh off the press sales folks 
go in and train, and I've actually helped build some training around this, uh, go in and train folks that are less digitally savvy and just sit down in a room with them, you know, five on one or whatever, uh, and talk through what their process is and what it looks like. And, and it, it does a few things. It helps, you know, the folks that aren't digitally savvy become more digitally savvy, and it builds the confidence of that younger sales rep that's just now getting into the game and is being respected because of some of the knowledge that they have based upon, you know, growing up in the, the millennial uh, time frame, if you will. Thank you very much. Good commentary. Brandon, I'm going to your prediction number one. I'm just going to read the first sentence because it's packed and you can expand it for us. You say, as businesses begin to have a strong adoption to AI, artificial intelligence, multiple data points we're collecting on future customers will be the driving force for future relations. Brandon, talk to me. Yeah, you know, right now with all the data about people and, and also like what you're doing, you can automatically recommend, uh, like for example, we use AI to automatically recommend your next best customer. And we call these like lookalike profiles, lookalike contacts. So if we know that you've got a deep relationship, you know, Jason's got a deep relationship with Chris, well then you could recommend other VPs of digital or VPs of product at similar companies, at Wells Fargo, at KeyBank, at JP Morgan, you name it. And AI will empower and enable salespeople, marketers to become even more successful. Another example, a product that we're working on is, um, you know, when you're on the phone, you could use transcription to then bring up sales scripts. So if I say, hey, Jason, I'm really interested in, in social media gamification and Jason's got a rep, you could automatically use AI and transcription to say, okay, the prospect's talking about this feature Let's give him this content to say, and then here are the relevant case studies. Or I'm on the phone or via email. I send an email. Hey, Bonnie, what other sales radio shows have you done? You can use AI to automatically recommend, boom, boom, boom. Here are all the radio shows that I should say in my email. You name it. So uh, the technology that, of the future and using AI to recommend who you need to connect with, to recommend what to say to connect with them, and the data to bring that relationship to life is, is just going to change the game in a, in a positive way. It will just help us connect with more people, smarter, better, faster. And it's going to be really, really exciting to see how much revenue, sales, you know, gross domestic product capital is going to be created from it. Thank you very much. Good first round. Let's go back for prediction number two. I think Jason is keen on his number two prediction, which is the use of AI. You want me to go to this one, Jason? Uh, the use of AI, artificial intelligence, to analyze sales activity and recommend next, next best action is going to get smarter and tighter with more data inputs. If we've already covered that through what uh, what Brandon just said, let me go to prediction number three because I want to do this one. Here's where we're getting into some of the meat and potatoes. You say video apps like Snapchat and Marco Polo, you got to tell me what that is, will become a form of client communication. What in the world? Jason. So first, I just wanted to say, Brandon, that sounds awesome. Um, it, the, the, the AI to analyze activity uh, in present next back action or even, you know, call scripts like that's, that's really cool. Uh, and that's what I was, that was my second prediction, but prediction number three. Um, ah, so I have a 14 year old daughter and she, her and I communicate through Snapchat. Like we, that's how we talk to each other. It's, I know it's strange, but that's, it's either that or FaceTime. 
Uh, I don't text her. We, we rarely text unless it's like super late and I'm just saying goodnight. Um, so I foresee client engagement. Uh, these types of things are going to be more and more natural because I, you see it all the time. Uh, people are on Snapchat. People are using Snapchat. Folks that are you know, in their 20s, even in their 30s are using Snapchat. Uh, those folks are going to shortly, you know, in the, ne in the next 10 years, become decision makers and, and become clients and, and purchase, you know, product. I see Snapchat and Marco Polo, which Marco Polo is, is another video app. Essentially what it is, is you record a video for a certain number of, you know, seconds and then send it to somebody. They watch the video and they reply. So actually, Chris, he and I communicate through Marco Polo quite a bit. And it's just, you know, hey, checking in, wanted to see how things are going. Let me know if you need anything. You know, how's Kelly? How's the baby? That kind of stuff. Right. And I feel like uh, client communication is is going to be transitioning like it has from just a phone to email to SMS to social and social uh, also being, um, you know, not just your typical Facebook, LinkedIn and Twitter, but you'll see things like Snapchat, Marco Polo be introduced you know, in the next five, 10 um, years, I would say. Thank you very much. I had a cause for concern here while I was listening to your brilliant prediction because Brandon disappeared and he's in a whole new virtual room. I don't know where. Yes, the, the power went out here, but I'm on my <laughs> mobile. So we're back live. Thank you so much. We appreciate that. We were rooting for you. We're not quite ready for you yet, but Jason had an interesting prediction. I'm going to go to Chris's prediction. Chris, I want to talk about number three. You say social selling and its associated technology will be built into the primary sales tech. For the last 10 years, social selling tech has largely stood on its own with some integration. The pressure to pull the functionality into existing business tools and processes is too strong to ignore. So I'd like you to unpack that. Chris Diskin, you're up. Sure. So I think some some you're seeing some of this today, um, and, and I'll try to keep brand names out of the equation here. But um, you know, ten years ago, when when at least I started getting involved with social selling, we were selecting a technology, purchasing technology that would be independent of most other platforms that our salespeople were using. So I think at the time we had nine different uh, technologies that an advi a financial advisor had to use uh, at Wells Fargo to communicate with their clients. And we added another by bringing in social media. Not only that, we added another compliance technology that our compliance team had to use to monitor social media. So I think uh, what we're starting to see, and I think you're going to see ultimately uh, the end result uh, of this migration become is uh, is a, a salesperson portal platform, whatever you want to call it, whether it's your customer management platform, your CRM, um, but having the social selling uh, capability just built into that. So as part of your natural sales process, your natural um, you know, managing of your business process, uh, social selling would just be a, a component of that rather than I'm running my business, I'm communicating with my clients, I'm processing transactions, I'm doing my administrative work. And then I go over here to do my social media. So I think uh, that's going to be important for, for clients to think about, but also our, uh, our technology partners that are supporting us with our social selling efforts. How can they uh, uh, open up to more integration uh, with you know, primary customer management platforms or sales platforms? Thank you very much, Brandon. Back. Brandon, you're a trooper. Hey, we don't let power adages stop us on live radio, do we? No way, Bonnie, we don't. Brandon, I'm no looking. No way. 
No way. I'm looking at your prediction number three. I like this one. You say in a digital-based business world, businesses will no longer we dry he dropped again. Brandon, are you here? There you no, are. No, I'm here. Okay. In a digital-based business world, businesses will no longer limit sales and move to a one-to-many style of selling. He says they should. They will set up webinars, sell to numerous customers at once, give a more in-depth website with video, slideshow, and audio experience, especially since Everyone's working from home. Brandon, talk to me. Are we there yet? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I, I've been in enterprise sales my whole career, and I never thought about one-to-many selling. It was always like one-to-one demos, one-to-one on-site, one-to-one virtual meetings. And then uh, we decided to go all in on, on also mastering one-to-many, literally giving a demo not letting anyone be live on the demo, but they could communicate you via chat or whatever. And now we're presenting to 100 people a day uh, minimum with just two people. So we'll have two people demo for two hours and they'll present 100 people versus just presenting to two people for those two hours and the, the sales skyrockets. So I think you've got this new age where, where people are okay with one-to-many, people are okay with learning, as long as they can communicate and they can engage with the host, kind of like people tuning into the show right now. You know, we all know who you are. We appreciate you tuning into the radio show. We want to answer all your questions and engage with you. You could sell that exact same way. And you see it with LinkedIn Live, Twitter Live, uh, Periscope, Snapchat, Instagram Stories, you name it. People are going one to many to communicate with their audience. And it's a really exciting opportunity if you just change your framework. I, I used to be scared of it. And then we're like, okay, let's run towards our fear. Let's master this new way of presenting, selling, and relationship building. And it's been extremely wildly profitable. Brandon, interesting you said that. I, for one of my clients a few months ago, we were hosting live webinars on Zoom with a live audience in the room of between 80 and almost 95 people. I expanded the room capacity, but we we hit just close to 100. But we were streaming the audio as a radio show live at the same time. So I call that simulcasting. Interesting. So you could hear it on the, st- on the channel, on this, on the, the business page at Voice America Radio and on the homepage of this series. And you could also have been invited into the Zoom room to watch the presenters and see them. So we were careful to have everybody explain what they were talking about. If there was a video, we made sure the audio was very clear so listeners would feel they were part of it rather than, oh, I'm not in the room, I can't see the images, the beautiful video. They could hear the voiceover and they could be part of it. So that was my first experience. We did four weeks in a row of live simulcasting, live webinar on Zoom and streaming through the radio. And that's an interesting platform, Brandon, because you're reaching people visually who were invited to accept the invitation globally and you are also reaching people through a radio a broadcast medium and uh i i chris talk to me what do you think yeah and and also too real quick like what's awesome about this right like we've got a storm here in ohio my power goes out i could be live on a radio station zoom with my iphone and and like that's not ideal but but everyone like you can go digital you could start selling digitally marketing digitally running webinars doing video casts with your mobile phone don't get scared about oh i need to have a studio like brandon i need to have this i need to have that like all you need is your iphone and if you've got something that can help someone else that's your message share your message with the world 
Well, technology devices have, I'm going to use the word, democratized the ability. I've done radio shows about, look, Ma, I'm on video. I'm on camera. You don't need a fancy studio. Ring light would be a good idea. But you you could just rehearse a little bit and you can have a script just off camera in front of you if you want and just be, be yourself, be real. And I think that's what people are looking for. We don't want to be sold, lectured to, preached to, forced to buy something. We want to, we want to get to know interesting people. So if you find somebody, yes, I love to swim and I have three dogs and we like basketball when we used to have something called basketball and let's talk, but it, it's got to be more than that. <laughs> Thank you, Brandon. Chris, you want to say something? Join me. What do you think? Yeah, I was just going to agree with Brandon and, and we're seeing tremendous uh, uh, success with, uh, with webinars right now in the financial services world as well. And the way we look at it is, you know, if somebody's willing to, to block off an hour in their busy day to spend it listening to us or interacting with us. That's a mm -hmm. tremendous buy signal. So the webinar is really important, but then what we do with the engagement during the webinar and, and what we do after the webinar is even more important. And call, you, know, you call that the final mile, right? Somebody, somebody spent an hour with you. They asked a question. They even, even answered a survey at the end that said they'd be willing to talk to somebody on this topic further. I mean, you can't get that type of engagement and that type of uh, buy signal in most other places. So 100% agree with Brandon. Good. Yeah, really it's, the funny part is it's easier too. Like demoing one to many is easier. Like yeah, there's no one that could sidetrack the demo or do anything. It's like, okay, guys, I'm sure you loved that as much as we do. We're going to go to the next thing and the next thing. And you love that. And we're gonna, yeah. So um, I like how you incorporate all these different strategies though, Chris, to like follow up, uh, pursue the deal post webinar. I think that that's probably... 80% like you know 50 to 80% of it is just in the follow-up after the webinar um, you know what, what has been the, the best thing that you guys have done you think to, to maximize follow-up to, to close deal on those one-to-many so we uh, we actually measure the engagement of each individual attendee and then post webinar we deliver the, the attendee to their assigned financial advisor and their engagement level so we're actually passing on people who both attended and engaged as well as those who signed up but couldn't find the time to attend just because they didn't you know, make that one hour time slot doesn't mean they aren't fully engaged in the concept or, or in you as a, a provider. So uh, we make sure we get those, that information in the hands of the, the salespeople immediately so that they can con conduct the follow-up uh, through traditional means or through social media. Interesting. Gentlemen, I just want to give you a little trick I do when I used to lead some webinars at SAP. I would come up with a pop quiz at the beginning and post questions in the chat on a topic related, but uh, trivia related to a very serious topic, but trivia. And I would, I would go and research, do my research and come up with these questions and ask people to put their answers in the chat. Instant engagement, instant involvement, people paid attention. I would announce the, the first name of the person who was responding and whether, yes, and Bob got it right and Mary, you're almost there. And then I would go the second, I would take about between five and seven minutes for this, this trivia stuff in the beginning and then introduce my featured speaker. And by then I called that the, the just like get everybody warmed up and get everybody involved in being in that room with us before we got down to the serious business. And 
people seem to really love that. I also use chat to acknowledge people during a webinar. Hey, we have a question here in the chat from Mary Jones, and, and we've got an answer from so-and-so. If I knew somebody, and I see Jason Taylor in the room, Jason, welcome. We haven't seen you in a while. Always making it warm. And this we're almost out of time, but I want to just bring in, uh, Jason, your fourth prediction is customer relationships will become more intimate as we become more connected. And that's what I was always trying to do on these webinars, was create a sense of, of personal connection, intimacy, if you will, to make people feel that we were paying attention to them. It wasn't just sit there and fold your hands and take notes and don't ask any questions. It was, why are you here? Who are you? And we want you to be part of this. Jason, quick comment on your prediction. Go ahead. Um, well, I mean, we've been talking about this. It's been brought up a few times. Um, but the client relationships are going to be, become much more intimate. And that's just because of the amount of data that I have or I'm receiving. Like I'm friends with my clients on Facebook. I know when they go to the beach with their kids. Um, you know, I know when they attend a baseball game. I know when they're posing questions about you know, a landscaper in their neighborhood. So um, the relationships will become much more uh, intimate. And I feel it's very important that you pay attention to that and, and make sure that it's, you, you don't start to become tone deaf in your conversations with them. You shouldn't just be talking about business and work and, you know, how, how's the project going? It's, you know, hey, Chris, how's the family? Like had a great time at dinner last week. You know, what are you guys doing next week? That type of stuff is, is going to be much more important. And that's because, um, you know, our connective, our, our connectivity, because everyone is more and more connected as the days go on, as technology evolves. Absolutely. Especially now we live for our social, don't we? We live, live for our, our relationships. We live for our Zoom calls. I can't tell you how many Zoom calls I'm on. I get dressed up every day. I, I read, <laughs> I watched videos when we first started and I wish I had started Zoom for uh, Brandon, come back. I wish we had st I started Zoom two or three years ago for radio. I, I didn't even realize it until the pandemic hit. But I watch videos and hope nobody takes this wrong, especially not me. I watch videos for women over 40 on how to wear makeup for Zoom. And I studied it and I got all kinds of makeup. And I'm very careful when I every morning I get up and I get ready for Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. You know, if there's a, a yes, an old movie, uh, something, something, something in California. Anyway, Brandon, I know you're there somewhere. We can't see you at all, but we know you're still with us. I want to wrap up. We are really literally out of time. Two minutes. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. We have a singer on the show. So I'm going to ask for a one-sentence final prediction from each of you. We get Brandon back. We don't see you, but I know you're there. One sentence, uh, one sentence from you, a wrap-up, please. Yeah, I mean, technology is going to be at the forefront of all selling, SMB or enterprise. Um, I, I just feel that uh, the innovation in technology and the way that things are able to be pieced together and the amount of data that I can receive or sales folks can receive about potential prospects or clients, uh, that's, that's going to be a norm moving forward in, in a sales uh, organization. Chris Diskin, one sentence. We've got to go. Yeah, sure thing. I think uh, privacy is going to make a comeback. So, you know, we're in an era right now where everybody's willing to share everything about themselves online. And I think we're seeing some both positive and negative consequences from that. I think we're going to start to see a, a, the pendulum swing in the other direction. And uh, we're going to have to evolve our practices to account for uh, less information about our clients. 
Thank you very much. Brandon, we missed you in the closing. I know you have no power and we were so brave to come back on your phone and we appreciate it. I want to say thank you to my engineer extraordinaire, Aaron Keller. He's about 28, but he's like middle-aged man. He's so smart and wise and he does such a good job for me on these shows. Thank you, Aaron. We appreciate you. Ryan Treasure, Vice President and my co-producer at Voice America World Talk Radio. And thank you to my special guest, Jason Taylor. Anytime, come back, bring me topics. Wonderful. Chris Diskin, same thing. We're delighted to meet you. Hope you had a good time. And Brandon Bernanson, somewhere off in the ether at Seamless AI. Brandon, you're welcome anytime as well. Very, very smart. And I just want to say thank you everybody for tuning into technology revolution the future is now remember if anybody says to you the future is already here tell them no 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 that was yesterday's future today's future didn't happen yet so let's all go make it a better one can't wait for 2020 to be over be smart be savvy be safe wear your damn mask everybody wave bye bye thank you for joining us for technology revolution the future of now Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now.